Chapter 3 of Bible Defense of Slavery by Josiah Priest. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 3 Adaptation of men or animals as to their location, regarding their physical powers, propensities, and appetites, favoring their comforts and well being, is a grand law of God in nature. The polar bear has his dwelling amid mountains of snow and ice, the elephant on the burning plains of the equator, the eagle in the heaven above, and the fishes in the depths of the ocean and the waters of the globe, where each creature, though occupying conditions and locations diametrically opposed in nature, rest and rejoice in their places among men reckoned in classes as belonging to distinct families or nations the earth has also been divided by the operation of the divine hand and suited to their several natures to the white race the descendants of japheth the northern regions of the earth were given to shem and his descendants the red or copper-colored race the middle regions or temperate clime north of the equator were allotted but to ham and his race was given the burning south the red race we perceive like their complexion occupied a middle region between the two the blacks and the whites this providence was in exact conformity with their several physical characters and constitutions as well as a remarkable adaptation to their respective complexions, the blacks in the south, the red men in the middle, and the whites in the stormy regions of the cold and snowy north. If there was not a divine hand in all this, why did it not happen that the white race should go to the south and the blacks to the north? Or why did not the three races, red, white, and black, mingle irrespectively at first in the various climes which most assuredly was not the case each division of the three sources of mankind studiously keeping themselves apart in a great measure and doubtless far more so in the first ages but how is it shown that the hot countries of the earth are adapted to the comforts of the negro race more than to the whites or rather that the negro race was formed suitable to the countries they were to people it is shown from their formation the bones of the negro's head are vastly different from those of the white man's consisting in the difference there is in their respective thickness the former being made far stronger thicker harder and more compact in relation to the sutures or seams of the skull in the white man's head the sutures are more loosely united than the negroes which is nearly as formally knit together as if there were no sutures at all or as if the head was but one continuous bone this being allowed it yet remains says one to show the advantage of a thick skull in a hot country over a thin one this as we apprehend is easily done 
as the great thickness of the skull-bone is an admirable defense of the brain against the sunstroke. Were it not for this, that portion of the negro population, who live almost continually in the open air beneath the fervor of a tropical sun, would soon be totally cut off, as it is well known that the whites cannot endure this kind of exposure without great danger, as many lose their lives this way, although their heads are covered with a hat, a turban, or some such defense. But the negro is never affected in this way by the sun. No, not even their children, though they are continually wandering on the wilds and in the deserts, bare-headed and naked. But, says the querist, do not the skull-bones of the whites increase in thickness in hot countries, thereby showing that it is the climate which does this, and that originally the heads of all men were alike, and thus proving that the climates give complexions, as well as formations, to all the human family? Our answer is, that no such phenomenon as the thickening of the heads of white men, who have lived thousands of years in their posterities in Africa, has ever been known to happen. Man is a distinct creature from animals, or dumb beasts, and is not affected, as they are, by circumstances and climates. God has not produced his image, or likeness, after so mutable a fashion, as that the elements should have power to change it. But, says one, is it the body, then, which was made in the likeness of God? Oh, no, it was the mind. But as the form of the head, no doubt, gives form to the mind, or, in other words, controls its powers by contraction or expansion, it would follow that if climate can change man's shape and color as it does dumb animals, then also it can change the powers of the human mind from its original stamp, and thus the true image of God in man, as given to Adam and his blood, would become another creature, and some other likeness which idea is abhorrent to the relation which exists between the Creator and his own image in man. Can anything, therefore, be more evident than that God has given the negro his thick skull for this particular reason? This curious difference between the heads of the two races was, even in ancient times, a matter of wonder. For Herodotus, who lived 450 B.C., and traveled much in the different countries of Asia and Africa, has mentioned it in the third book of his travels, page 12, and says that when in Egypt the people showed him a place where a great battle was once fought between the Egyptians and the Persians, and the bones of the slain on both sides. The following are his words. Quote, By the people inhabiting the place where this battle was fought, a very surprising thing was pointed out to my attention. The bones of those who fell in the engagement 
were soon afterward collected and separated into heaps. It was observed of the Persians that their heads were so extremely soft as to yield to the slightest impression, even of a pebble. Those of the Egyptians, on the contrary, were so firm that the blow of a large stone could hardly break them. Thus we see that the same circumstance, that of the great thickness of the negro's head, was always, as it is now, a formation suited to their condition. The peculiar form of the negro's foot goes also to establish the doctrine of adaptation. This peculiarity consists in the great length and width of that limb, the extraordinary protrusion of the heel backward, placing the leg nearly in the middle of the foot in many instances. This circumstance is also favorable to them in passing over deep, miry, and sandy places, morasses and swampy grounds, which trait, it is said, characterizes much of the wilds of Africa. This circumstance, the great size of the negro's foot, is noticed by Pliny, a Roman historian. In the production of the negro skin, there is a circumstance no less curious and admirable than are the other two peculiarities. And this is the placing, by the divine hand, in the cutaneous covering of their bodies, myriads of little cups of pellucid water, mingled with the capillary vessels. By this means, the sun's rays are thrown off, as they are from the face of the waters of lakes, seas, and rivers, or the dewdrops of the ground, by which that cool and moist condition of the surface of the negro's body is produced. But this is not so with the white man. On this account, the prevalence of these water cells, or particles, in the skin of the African, they are less capable of enduring the cold than a white man, whose skin is not thus formed. In cold countries, the negro trembles and withers in the blast, while the white man rejoices in the tempest and the snow. But in the hot regions, the former stretches forth his limbs, his eyes sparkle, and his whole person becomes alive with activity and force, while the latter is enfeebled, flies to some shade, and faints from the effect of the heat. The great thickness of the skull of the African seems to be a matter of exultation to the race, as in this way they are furnished with a powerful weapon, both of attack and defense, as one blow of this dreadful bone against the head or body of a white man, or of themselves, is found to be decisive, and sometimes even fatal. Instances are known among this people who, to show their power in this way, have actually driven their heads through a common board fence, when the splinters, closing round the neck, held them fast, where they must have died, had they not been cut out by some friendly hand. The great thickness and hardness of the heads of this people, the African race, is, in another respect, 
a singular providence in their favor, as a defense against the blows of angry masters, in a state of servitude, it being almost impossible to break their skulls, even with a club. There is still another particular in which they are favored by the divine goodness, and this is not being as subject to some diseases, such as the yellow fever, fever and ague, and bilious complaints, as are white men, and in also being generally longer lived. From the foregoing, and from the fact that the negro race have, in all ages, flourished most in the hot countries of the earth, as in Africa and the tropical islands, it is evident, therefore, that they were formed and fitted for their place and condition on the globe. If this be true, then we have made out our position, which is, that God formed and adapted every creature to the country and elements suited to their nature, so as to compete with difficulties, and to enjoy their being. Wherefore, from the facts of the case agreeing with this opinion, the negro was created as he is, and has not been produced and modeled by circumstances and accidents. The earth was made and hung amid the air, a fabric great and huge, yet wondrous fair, on which was placed all things that walk or fly, and each adapted to its destiny. End of section three.